Anyone here for the first time tonight? I've met one or two of you, but not all. Welcome, welcome. Um, we've got quite a few students back. Obviously, some are still enjoying spring break, as they should. It's, well, speaking personally, it's been a really good spring break. I hope, uh, hope the rest of you found that as well. Um, it's funny that Amanda said, you know, bring the fire. I thought, you know, tonight I'm talking, we've done the flesh, the world. So tonight, looking at the devil, if ever there was a night to do a fire and brimstone sermon, this would be it. I could get very American on you. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm South African English, so we don't do that sort of thing. Um, but you never know what the Holy Spirit might inspire. Um, <laughs> gosh. It was such a fun series. Who knew talking about sin would be so good? Um, so, <laughs> um, we'll, uh, we'll see how we go when we get to some, some specific things. This is the, probably, the, probably the last kind of general sermon. Um, and then we're going to start pressing into some um, sort of explicit sins. Okay, um, we'll go after... Go for some things that we, yeah, we just need to talk about and, and get free of. Um, and this is, Rachel, <laughs> um, and yeah, this is a strange sermon. You know, I, as many of them have been, you know, it could go in so many, so many different ways. And um, there's so much theology to talk about, and that's. You know, the, the, the point of tonight's sermon isn't to talk about the devil, obviously. It's, it's, we, we're talking about sin. That's the context. Um, and so I'm, I'm going to say what I believe the Lord wants us to hear. Um, we're going to look at some scripture. And then in the context of sin, I, I want to talk about strongholds tonight. And I want to talk about power and authority. Um, two really, really important ideas for us as Christians if we are to live in freedom, is to actually know the power and the authority that Jesus has given us. Um, and so, I'll get to that in a little while. Um, I wanted, you know, we often, you, or you might have heard it said um, by Christians that, you know, we don't like to talk about the devil, we don't want to give him attention. And there, and I, and there are some churches that give the devil too much attention. Um, and, and, you know, let me be clear and say that, you know, the devil tempts us, he clearly tempts us, but we, but we still have a free will. Yeah, we are, we're not passive victims. Um, it was a really sad case um, a few years ago, for those of you who watch cricket, um, South Africa had a really good team a few years ago, and no one here watches cricket, I suppose, but... Um, <laughs> We had, a, we had a really good team. We weren't quite world champions, but we were in the sort of top three in the world. And the captain of our team was a really strong Christian, went to the biggest church in South Africa and talked about his faith a lot. And then after captaining the side for six, seven years, uh, turned out that he'd been, he'd been taking bribes from Indian bookmakers um, for years. And, and then there was a, there was a kind of trial um, that took part. And at one stage, he, he, he actually said, you know, the... The devil made me do it. And it's true to a point, but only to a point. Um, and especially when we get to things like strongholds, it's important to realize um, that sometimes our will is less powerful than it should be. Um, 
I'm also, I'm also aware, you know, sometimes when I talk about spiritual warfare and discerning of spirits and things like that, you know, sometimes I'm talking about things that we're not used to, and you know, a lot of us are, but I know there's some new people in the room as well. Um, some of you are searching. Um, and, and some people are, are, they have a fear of the demonic. Um, and that's understandable, and it might come through bad teaching, it might come through um, horrible experiences. I was scared of Satan for about 10 years because of a dream I had when I was a young kid. Um, I've told that story before, but literally 10 years of living in fear uh, because of a dream. Um, so I understand that fear. And so if, if, if anything that I say tonight, tonight um, brings up that fear, please come and get prayer at the end. Or you know, come talk to me or Bill or Kath or you know, one of the leaders, Melissa, it's just one of the leaders here. Um, so, you know, we don't want to give the devil too much attention, but we also don't want to pretend that he's not out there. We don't want to ignore him. And as Christians, we always have this balancing act. You know, we don't want to give him our attention, but we can't ignore him. Um, and even as we talk about sin, sin is so destructive. I keep thinking I need to give a sermon on how bad sin is, but I, I like to think that we take it for granted, like we know it's bad. We see destruction around us. We see death around us. We see abuse and, and, and rape and anger and hatred and war. We see these things. Um, sin is bad. Sin is so bad that it required Jesus having to die. It's that bad. It was the only way that God could see fit to destroy it. That's how bad it is. And so we have to take it seriously. We have to see it as destructive. We have to run away from it. But even as I say that, on the one hand, it's really destructive. On the other hand, it's nothing compared to the power of the resurrected Christ. Nothing. It can't touch him. <laughs> he has destroyed it. One of, my, one of my favorite stories, and I think I've shared this a while ago, so I'll just do like a brief version, but um, one of my favorite conversion stories was of a, of a Satanist um, who was literally partaking in a satanic ritual, you know, him and all his Satanist buddies standing in a circle and they have a big fire in the middle and they're doing all their chants, um, you know, which most of us would find pretty intimidating and scary. Um, and Jesus just appears in the middle of the fire and he walks out of the fire to this one guy, no one else can see him, and he just touches his lips. No more. And the guy obviously converts on the spot. You know, Jesus is not scared of the deal. Okay, he is triumphant, he's victorious. Um, so we take sin really seriously. We take the kingdom of darkness seriously, but we understand that we are in the kingdom of light and Jesus has won. Okay, so everything I say tonight is in that context that Jesus has won. He has won. There might be, however, parts of your life where you feel like maybe he isn't winning right now. Okay, and that's why I want to talk about this topic tonight and talk about strongholds. Um, let's go back to Ephesians 2, those first three verses that we read last week. Um, Ephesians 2, 1, 2, 3. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. 
So again, this is the scripture where we see the world, the flesh, and the devil. All of these things lead us into sin. We've talked about two of those, but the devil is the one who's kind of the foundation. It's his systems that are set up in the world. It's his systems that attract the flesh and draw us into sin. And Paul's pretty, it's pretty basic here that when we are choosing to live in sin, we are obeying the devil. Like there's no pretty way to put that. When we are choosing sin, and I'm not talking about when we just sin and we know do something wrong, because obviously we're human and we're going to mess up. Okay, no, none of us are ever going to be perfect. But when we are living in habitual sin, we have to realize that we are obeying the devil. Paul says in Ephesians 5, 8, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And in chapter 6, Ephesians is such an amazing book. In chapter 6, verse 10 onwards, he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and in having done all to stand. You know, we've done sermons in the past on spiritual warfare, you know, that have talked about how we are born into a war. This is just the reality of the world we live in. We live in a supernatural world as well as a natural world. And it's a world that's at war. And the reality is that we are part of the kingdom of light and we are called to stand against principalities and powers and systems and ideas, everything that is set against God. And if we choose to sin and we choose to obey the devil, then the th very thing that God is calling us to do as children, as ambassadors of his kingdom, we're trying to fight the very thing that we're agreeing with. And we are not going to be powerful. And we're not going to be successful if we're siding with the very enemy that we're supposed to be fighting with. Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. This is the reality that Peter warns us of. <laughs> we have to acknowledge it. I read the scripture, the scripture last week where God was talking to Cain and saying, you know, that sin crouches at the door and it wants to have you. It wants to have you. Sin is obviously not neutral. Paul says that the wages of sin is death. Again, I said I wasn't going to do a long sermon on why sin is bad, but we have to remember some of this, don't we? Like the wages of sin is death. It's like when you're sinning and you think, I'm going to be okay, it's just a little sin. Paul says that the wages of sin is death. And that lion comes to devour. He doesn't come to be your friend. <laughs> he doesn't come to make you feel good about yourself. He doesn't come for you to pet him. He comes to devour. Sin's aim is always destruction. The devil's aim 
is always destruction. The reality is, um, let, me just, let me just say this as well. Um, I don't have my Bible on me. I'd have to hold up my phone. <laughs> but I talked, about last, I talked last week about, the, about Scripture being our truth. That Scripture is our litmus test. Because the other characteristic about Satan that we hear a lot about is that he is the father of lies. It's the thing that Jesus says about him. He is the author of lies. That is his language. And there's so much deception in the world around us. When Paul talks about the principalities and powers, about these things that we war against, these systems of the world, we have to hold to scripture. It has to be our truth. It has to be our litmus test. It's amazing when Jesus is um, admonishing the, the Pharisees, when he admonishes the men that were supposed to know the law, that were supposed to be faithful. And he, you know, he calls them sons of Satan, <laughs> effectively. It's easy to be deceived. And we have to be very wary be very aware of any person or any movement or anything that sets to establish something above God's word. Anything that looks, anything that does that is essentially idolatry. And be wary of it. It's normally rooted in rebellion, which is a sin that we'll come to in a few weeks. In all things, we must be submitted to scripture. We must be submitted to Christ. Be wary of people who are not submitted to him. But the reality is in the church, and this was my only experience as well, um, and I grew up in a charismatic household. Um, you know, if, we, if we talk about a lot, of, a lot of people in the church, a lot of Christians don't understand the Holy Spirit, don't have a, a relationship with the Holy Spirit. He's kind of the forgotten God, the, you know, the part of the Trinity we don't talk about. We don't communicate with him. We don't hear his voice. Um, as many Christians as have no relationship with the Holy Spirit, they are even more, because they're not willing to embrace the supernatural, there's even less awareness of the devil. There's even less awareness of evil. And so too often, as Christians, we get trapped in sin and in brokenness, and we don't actually know how to get out of it. So if we go back to Ephesians, and read from Ephesians 4, just, um, just two verses. And there's more scripture on this, but just for time, I'm, I'm just going to read Ephesians 4, um, verse 26 and 27. Paul says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. So that word place um, is a word called topos, and it's a place, it's, um, it's where we get the word stronghold. It's an, it's an actual location, okay? It's not just an idea, it's actually literal place. And the thing with the devil is that he is a legalist. And when we sin, when we agree with the temptations that he puts in front of us, we are essentially giving him 
a place, a topos, is what Paul warns us. Now Paul's talking about anger, I'm talking about all sin. That where we have choices there, we have a kingdom of darkness and we have a kingdom of light. And where we make choices that align with the kingdom of darkness, where we agree with Satan, we give him a place. And sometimes these are sometimes these are not major things. They can be quite mild. Okay. Um, <laughs> I was trying to think of the right words to choose here. So it might just be in the way that you react to a situation. Do you ever find yourself in a conversation or something, someone's saying something to you, and you suddenly re- react in a way, husbands and wives never do this, I know, but um, <laughs> something happens and you, just, you, you find yourself reacting and then you think, what, you know, even while it's happening, like, what's going on? Like, why, why am I so angry? Why am I shouting? Why, you know? And, and you're, you're, you, there's something in you that's almost taking over. You might be in a situation, you're suddenly overcome with fear, and you're not sure, like, why am I suddenly scared? Why is this fear so strong? And when we get that sort of feeling, that's often a sign of something in our lives that, that we would call a stronghold, a place where God is not victorious in our lives. Okay? For me, the sort of more milder versions, you know, the, the Holy Spirit will actually, he'll speak to me. Like, I'll be, I'll be in a situation, and you know, it might be shouting at my children or something, and, um, which hardly ever happens. Um, but, you know, I'll, I'll say something, and it will be a bit unkind, and then, you know, the Holy Spirit will say, well, that was weird. Why did you do that? And, and I'll say, you're right. Like, that's not how I want to treat my children. Where did that come from? And, so, and, and he'll say, well, do you remember yesterday? when you had that experience with that person and you got agitated by them, and you're just carrying that agitation still. Now that's not a major stronghold, but that is a lie that I've believed. It's something that I've believed, some sin that I've carried with me for 24 hours or 48 hours. And, and, and he says, you need to get rid of that. You need to forgive that person. Because my other actions are starting to be filtered through it. I've given a place in my heart to the devil, to the, his ways. And that can be, that's a fairly minor example, but these things can be really deep. And they can be really entrenched in us. And the thing with strongholds is that they can actually be quite hard to identify. Um, so, something, a story I haven't told you before. Um, a friend of mine who um, is in his early 50s and has struggled with... Um, Sexual sin, basically his whole life, as long as he can remember, from a teenager. Um, and it's really cost him. He, it's cost him in terms of his relationship with his wife. He's still married, but he has no you know, sexual relationship with his wife anymore. Um, that part of their marriage is just broken. And, um, and I've known this guy for, for, for years, decades. And it was a few years ago that we were having a conversation and it suddenly dawned on him as we were talking and praying. And he said, I, I hate women. And I was like, wow, like, you're not a very hateful person. Like, where did that just come from? <laughs> and we talked some more. 
and then he said, well, when I was, when I was a kid, um, I think like eight or nine years old, my mother had an affair and it almost destroyed our, our family and our home. And I've hated women ever since. And there was something in him that he would never have said that. He would never, no one would say that about him. He's the most loving, kind person. But there was this hate in him towards his own mother that fed sin. And that was a part of his heart, which he's essentially given over to the enemy. And, and, and realize as I'm saying this, like this, that wasn't his will. That was something that happened to him. That was, that was not his fault. But because he, his heart wasn't able to forgive for years, he carried that. And it became a stronghold, which affected his relationships, particularly with women. And the thing is, if we don't, um, if we don't, if we don't see it, we can't beat it. And there's, there's a curious theology here, okay, so bear with me. Um, but let me, let me tell one quick story. When, when um, and some of you will have heard this, I told it a few years ago, but just to kind of emphasize this point, when, when I first um, found out about this idea of strongholds um, and, and freedom, and you know, really having the Holy Spirit really sort of penetrate your life and, and set us free, um, was through a church in London and um, my wife and I and a couple of people from church went, uh, from our church in England, went to this church and had an incredible experience of God. Just got so free. I saw people get transformed. That was beyond what I actually thought was possible for the Lord. I know it sounds sacrilegious, but um, like night and day, people just transformed. Incredible. And um, so my dad, who was my priest, he was so overwhelmed by the changes he saw in his congregants that he said, I need to go to this church. I need to see what's happening. I need to see what the Lord's doing there. And my dad, in all the years I've known him, has, has, I think I've known him go to two Christian conferences. Okay, so he's not a Christian conference guy. So when he says, I'm going to check something out, like, he, there was something powerful going on. So my dad has a heart condition. He had a quadruple bypass in his late 40s. Um, very sensitive about his physical state. Um, him and my, my mom take a train up to London, it's about a two-hour train trip. The, the further he goes on this train trip, the worse he starts to feel. Um, by the time he gets to London he's, London, he's starting to have early signs of a heart attack. Which if you, are, if you know someone who's been a victim of a heart attack, this is something that really <laughs> is quite upsetting and off-putting. He gets off the train, walks down the platform, so they, they're not going to walk to the church. It's not that far, so they, my mom calls a taxi. Um, and my dad basically stumbles into the taxi, and my mom is now really panicking. She says, do we have to take you to hospital? And, and my dad says, like, he says, yes, but no. The, the, this is weird. Something's, this is not a coincidence. And they get to the church, and, so, um, and my mom has to help him out of the car, and, and she's literally like a crutch helping him into the church. And as soon as, his, as soon as his feet crossed the threshold of the church property, it, it just went away. All of it lifted. Every physical sign. And then he knew that was one of the most oppressive attacks he had ever felt physically from the enemy. And therefore, whatever is in this church is something that he doesn't want me to know, and therefore I'm going to study it as much as I possibly can. <laughs> and that led to huge freedom in his life and in our church and so many people. Sometimes the devil overplays his hand 
And in that case, it became really obvious. He didn't want our eyes opened. The thing was giving the devil access into our lives. Um, Because we do have will. We do have free will, as I said already. But when the enemy has this kind of hold on us, it becomes really hard to exercise our will. And I'm sure some of you have experienced this where you know you're going to sin. The thing you're doing is sinning, but you still choose to do it. And some of that's the flesh, but sometimes it can be something deeper in us. I told the story of, of another man before who struggled with, with lust um, for 50 years until in a prayer time it was revealed that he was abused as like a two and a half year old. And as soon as the person in the group said, this is what happened to you, he remembered. It was the most amazing thing, like the cloud lifted and he could forgive and the problem went away. The thing is, strongholds are really powerful and they can really affect us. But the glory of the gospel is that they're actually really easy to dismantle. And sometimes we can do this ourselves, okay? And, and all it takes is repentance. It's really quite simple. It's repentance and submission to God. Because the enemy is a legalist, and as soon as you repent, as soon as you ask for forgiveness, he loses that right, and Jesus' blood covers us. It becomes more challenging when that stronghold is something that we can't see. Yeah, and that's when we actually need to get together with friends, and we say, will you pray with me? There's something going on. I'm reacting in a way I don't understand. Yeah, there's this thing. I just haven't been able to beat it. Will you pray with me? When James says, confess your sins one to another, and you will be healed. There's power in confession. There's power in repentance. There's power coming together. And I think sometimes God just, you know, this is the way that he operates. He wants us to partner with him. And so one of the things that you'll notice if you come up to pray um, up here, and this is, this is biblical, as I think you know, Bill has often pointed out, Try and find the number of places in the New Testament where the disciples ask God to do something. They always pray for the thing that they expect God to do, that they see God doing. God asks us to partner with him when we pray. So if you come, if you come up and there's an issue with a stronghold, you're, let's say, you know, going, going back to lust, because something that's, that we've seen so much of, like I don't pray, I don't pray for God to take away your lust. That's just a silly prayer. Oh, I mean, he could do it, okay, but I've, I've never seen him do it. But I can say, okay, Lord, what must I pray? What do you want to be prayed? Because he's given me the power and authority to pray. He's put that in me, and he wants to partner with me, and he wants to partner with you to pray. He didn't put his spirit in us so that we could ask him to do stuff. He put his spirit in us that we would partner with him and we would ask him. So when someone comes up and has an issue with lust, God's never going to say, yeah, he's got a problem with lust. That's really obvious. Okay? But that's always a symptom. It's going to end up being that this person has had serious rejection issues in their life or they are in serious pride and they are in serious rebellion against God. 
and they are choosing to do those things. The lust is a symptom. That just follows other choices. Well, sometimes, like with this other guy I mentioned, it could be abuse. Something's just happened to you. It's not that person's sin. It's just something, it's sin has happened to them. And then God gives us the power and authority to rebuke the devil from those places. If you ever try to rebuke the devil while you're in sin, you have zero chance of success. Okay, just be clear. Like, you have no chance of success. There's this wonderful Christian idea, um, careful of theology again. Um, there's this wonderful Christian idea that all of us have power and authority over the devil. Like, theoretically, that's true. Theologically, that's true. But so many Christians live their lives unaware of the Holy Spirit, not in relationship with the very one who brings the power to have authority. Some of us love Scripture, and we talk about Scripture a lot, but we're not submitted to it. And there's all sorts of all parts of our lives which are not submitted to it. And then we try and pray against the devil, and he says, <laughs> why should I listen to you? Because you are not submitted to God, you're not submitted to his word. Remember Adam Narciso telling that story when he was 19, trying to rebuke a demon out of his sister, and the demon laughed at him and said, what do you think this is, Hollywood? That, that, that shocked him. Because like, it's not a game, and, his, and basically Adam's life was not redeemed enough. You know, he wasn't actually in submission to God. And he learned that the hard way. And our friends in Tacoma, who saw person after person after person after person come to their church demonized, who, and I'm, I mean this seriously, know scripture off by heart. Know it off by heart, every single verse, and love it. And if you had asked them, would have said they were submitted to it, but you know, they weren't submitted to it. Why? Because they had no relationship with the Holy Spirit. They weren't submitted to it because they didn't know the Lord with intimacy, which is what the scripture calls them to. And so when they prayed against demons and people that came to the church, nothing happened. And it was only when they encountered the power of God and they were truly submitted to the will of God that power flowed from them. And I'm kind of jumping all over the place in my sermon at the moment. <laughs> and I'm, we're going we're gonna to come back to this idea of strongholds as we look at particular things. Okay, so we're going to look at rebellion and we're going to look at anger. And every time we look at one of those things, we're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to pray together. And it might not be an issue that you have, but we're going to do it together. Okay, and we're going to, we're going to practice this. But remember, repentance is the thing that sets you free. Remember that Jesus gave you power and authority if he will be submitted to him. I'll finish with these, with these lines from James. So James Heth, who used to be our pastor, used to talk about James being like getting a two-by-four to the head. It's a bit like that, isn't it? There's this wonderful line from James that we read. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. How many of us have said that, that phrase? In the face of temptation, sometimes it's worked, sometimes it hasn't. It doesn't work. And it's one of these lines that we love to throw out because it's really cool and, it's, and, it's, and it is scripture and it should be powerful. But it comes in the middle of this really strong language. I'm going to read the few verses on either side of that. 
And remember, James is writing to Christians. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever chooses to be a friend of the world renders himself an enemy of God. Or do you think the scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to dwell in us yearns with envy? But he gives us more grace. This is why it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and weep. Turn your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. These are such strong words. And before we start to resist the devil and expect him to flee from us, we have to submit ourselves to God. We have to be willing to purify our hands and purify our hearts. Music team, do you guys want to come up while I saw this last story? Um, we're going to do what we've been doing before and um, have communion during our last worship. The other, the other thing that I discovered at this church in London um, was original design prayer, which is what we love to do here at Kingdom Life. We, we love to ask God how he makes his children. Um, just you know, prophetically, words of knowledge. The good things that he has made us to be. This was a revelation to me, not because the things that were said about me were cool, but they, you know, they were. Um, but it was a revelation because I realized how much God loved me. Because the words that were spoken were exactly what I'd asked to be spoken. And I knew that he was paying attention to me. This little old me, one person, in one church, in one city, in one part of the world. And throughout this series on sin, I want, us, I want us to try and remember this. And I, I'll, I'll keep saying it. That we, we choose not to sin because sin, sinning is being in obedience to the devil. Okay, that's a really good reason not to sin. But the true reason, the real reason why we shouldn't sin is because we are so deeply and madly in love for the one who loves us. And I know theologically that makes sense, and we can nod our heads and say, yes, let's do that. <laughs> but for the, most of my life, first 29 years of my life, I didn't really know what that meant. Until I actually met him, and I met love. And then sin became something that was really distasteful to me, because it would hurt the one that I loved. And I didn't want it to mar my relationship with him in any way. Not that anything would separate me from him. But I just didn't want to hurt him. And sin, be sin became dirty and horrible. And the, and the more, the more that we submit ourselves, the more that we surrender to him, the more that we get a revelation of who he is, the more sin becomes a non-factor in our lives. It just starts to dissipate. And the enemy's ability to grip us and tempt us, tempt us it weakens so much. So if you, if you are struggling with, with sin, if there's something in your life that you just can't break, please stop trying to break it yourself. 
Submit to scripture which says confess your sins one to another. Submit yourself to God. And come and get prayer. Because it might, just, might well be that there's just something there that's spiritual that needs to get removed. It needs, it needs to be taken out. And you need to do it with brothers and sisters. If there's something in your life that you know is wrong, and it's be, <laughs> start by repenting. Remove the devil's right to your life. And then, and then ask Jesus for a revelation. Ask him for a revelation of who he is. Ask to see him. Ask to know him. So we're going we're gonna to go into communion. Joe, can you wheel it along here, please? Um, Amanda, can you help me with communion? So I'll just bless the elements, and then I'd, I want to have, I just want to pray. Um, We don't, we don't say this when we do communion very often, but Paul is clear in Scripture that, that we should repent before we receive communion. That we give to God the things, those places that we fall short. And it doesn't matter if it's a besetting sin or a one-off thing. It doesn't matter if, you know, just that we get our hearts right with God. But before you come up tonight, I, I just, I'd like you to go one step further than that. And I'd, I'd like you just to take a minute or two and let the Holy Spirit speak. Let him speak to, to you. And, and, and just, just ask him, Lord, is there any part of my life where I have been agreeing with the kingdom of darkness? It's not a nice question to ask. But it can be a necessary question. And just, just ask him. And it's just a sign of submission. Lord, will you show me? And remember, we don't ever ask we don't ever talk about repentance and we don't ever ask that sort of question so that we can feel ashamed, that we can have this, this idea of God in heaven with a stick who wants to hit us. You know, That is not his heart. We ask that question because we want to be free and we want to experience his love more deeply. It's never about shame. It's about knowing him more deeply. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it.